Hello everyone, my name is Strangely Duesberg, and this is Pochmancier. I just wanted to take a moment to apologize for any of the audio quirks that are happening this week. I'm on tour right now in the mountains in Colorado, and it's very windy, and uh, I haven't really been able to find an ideal place to record, so it is what it is, and I just want to make sure these come out on time. Uh, when this goes up, I will actually be driving through uh, Utah and Nevada on my way back up to Seattle uh, for uh, some R&R, and then I have an album release show on May 5th at The Honeymoon in Bellingham, so I hope to see some of you there. Anyway, here we go. Porsche a novel by Strangely Duesberg. Chapter 5 Until this point in our story, dear reader, we have sought to conjure together establishments of purest quintessence. A wondrous curiosity shop, the perfect bookstore, or perhaps a cafe of special perfection. So then, what of this pub Adlon leads our new group of friends to? Is it some perfect vision of a long-lost corner pub? A place of perfectly burnished wood and frothy tankards? A dimly lit, nigh-magical room with ancient tables polished to a shine by the elbows of a thousand thousand drunken hours? It could be, but I rather like to think it isn't. I rather more like to imagine it as nothing special in any way. The walls hung with a random assortment of items that, were you to ask, would tell much of the history of this particular establishment. A bar not quite old enough for there to be none left alive who remember a time before its construction yet long lived enough that they can't quite remember when it arrived. It is a place without any particular character beyond that invested in it by whoever happens to be drinking there at the moment. After all, the best nights of drinking are about as dependent on their surroundings as the best nights of love. To be sure, the mise-en-scene of a good pub can get the evening started quicker, or push it in the right direction. But after a drink or two, who really cares about the surroundings? Certainly not our happy trio, already ensconced in an isolated booth around a corner from the main room of the place. Martin notes with some interest that Eleanor's hands never quite stop moving. They make their way around the pockets of her coat, touching everything as if performing some archaic personal ritual. In contrast to the actions of her hands, she seems relaxed, and the constant movement soon has the same effect on Martin. As Martin and Adlon drift off into a friendly disagreement about the nature of a particular Czechoslovakian publishing house and the resident artist who made it famous some 70 years ago, Eleanor leaves them to it. She is warm and comfortable, sitting at a table with her new friends. A pleasant vibration has flowed up her arms and seems to be collecting somewhere between her shoulder blades. She remembers the small card and pulls it out. It is a business card. That much is obvious. Printed on the usual cardstock, but the odd configuration of holes and missing text is strange to her. This, who, sh, r, i, e, pr, dig, ich, e, ordin, pos, ki, prol, eight, re, able, rats, o six two o four. Next to the words is a picture of a hand holding a red king from a chess set. She studies the card for another moment and then turns it over. The hand now holds a black queen. There is more disjointed text here, but none of these words are foreshortened by the holes as they are on the other side. 
Kifleri M C square S T Tater Extra Air Ket Pick D Joy Ifer D Asen E Plus one two two three five nine Eleanor turns the card over a few more times, pausing only to take another sip of her beer. Realization dawns as the card begins to speed up in her hands. With a tiny squeak of delight, she carefully folds the card in half, lining up the letters on the back with the holes on the front. The card reads, Kells Flourish Marcel Esquire, Prestidigitatrix Extraordinaire, Pockets Picked, Joy Proliferated, Reasonable Rates, Plus one, two, zero, six, two, three, five, two, zero, four, nine. Eleanor slaps her hand on the table, swept away in the joy of discovery. The card is doubtless from the street magician she passed in the rain earlier. A tiny feeling of something like nervous excitement swoops through her stomach, like a bird dipping under a bridge. Her compatriots are still too absorbed in their conversation to notice her delight. After draining the last of her glass, she sees all the other drinks are almost empty. She gets to her feet, privately delighted that the others do not seem to notice her swaying. Next round's on me. They look up and give vague, happy nods of assent. Before she is ten steps away, they have already descended back into the minutiae of their discussion. Before going to the bar, Eleanor pays a quick visit to the toilets. That they prove to be clean and odor-free is perhaps the most remarkable thing about this establishment. Still pondering the clean toilets, Eleanor orders three more of the same from the bartender. As she waits for the drinks, she notices a payphone against the wall. She pays for the drinks and drops off two of them at the table. Martin and Adlon thank her without looking up, their sparring rising in intensity, keeping pace with their amusement. Grinning at the conversation she almost cannot follow, she carries her beer over to the phone and sits down on a stool next to it. Such a charming relic of a time almost vanished. Even when Eleanor's travels began in earnest, it was still possible to find public payphones when you needed them. In the decades since, she has adapted, learning the complex social dance required to borrow a stranger's mobile. Still, whenever possible, Eleanor uses stationary public phones. She loves the weight of them, the finality of hanging one up. Sometimes, she knows, they ring. And often, if one should be so curious as to answer a ringing public phone, one can learn wondrous things. Or terrible. Settled now on the stool, Eleanor lifts the receiver with movements which reveal a certain reverence. There is a dial tone. She reaches into her pocket and draws out a handful of change, and feeds it into the coin slot, relishing the soft mechanical thumps as the coins come to rest in the ready position. After a quick glance at the card, she dials the number. Somewhere, as if at the other end of a very long, darkened hallway, she hears the ring of the connected phone. Once, twice, three times. Each repeat of the buzzing causes a little thrill of anticipation. Just who exactly was she calling? Would Kells, if that was her name, even answer? A fourth ring, followed by a fifth, and then a click. A stir of static, and a voice. 
a young woman's voice. Hello. You've reached the answering machine of Kels Flourish Marcel. Press to Digitatrix Extraordinaire. I guess you missed me. If you want to hire me, please leave an explanation of the gig and how much you're paying. Exposure is not payment. You can die of exposure. For anything else, leave your name and number and I'll call you back. A moment of fumbling, furtive noises follows, and then a beep. Eleanor pauses, with her mouth open, about to speak, suddenly unsure of what to say. Here she is, a bit intoxicated, calling a strange woman from a bar. Her entire course had seemed so clear up until the moment she heard Kells's voice from the answering robot. After a deep breath, she is about to say hello, when a second click interrupts her. It's you, isn't it? Said the voice. Kells's voice. The one I passed in the street. Eleanor nods, then realizes she's talking on the phone, and, with silent irritation, that she has been holding her breath. She lets it out and is about to speak again when Kells says, Please, don't go. I- I'm sorry about putting the card in your pocket. I know it might be considered a bit of a violation. I just, I could tell you were like me and that you did magic and things. I've found your card, but I didn't call you yet. Say something? Eleanor bursts out laughing, the knot of uncertainty in her melting away. Hello. I won't go away. And I didn't mind the card. I loved it. I'm sorry, I didn't know what to expect, and then you caught me off guard when you actually answered. Kells laughs. A sound like bells, Eleanor thinks. That swooping bird feeling is in her stomach again. So what's up? I just solved your puzzle card and called you. I'm at a pub having a few drinks with some shopkeepers. The laugh again, and more swooping. What sort of shopkeepers? Books and curios. Let me guess. Martin and Adlon. Yes. How'd you know? Don't be silly. You're one of us. It's not too much of a stretch to imagine you'd end up meeting them sooner or later. The good ones always do. You know them? Of course. Martin has some tremendous books on circus, and Adlon's always got just the right props for juggling or whatever. Though most of them are outside of my price range. Eleanor's head swirls, the coincidence of it making her feel odd. Perhaps it is the drink, or the feeling of larger events the unexpected confluence makes her feel are happening. Whatever the case, she hears herself saying, Would you care to join us? I started getting dressed as soon as I realized who was on the phone. I'll be there in 20 minutes. Cheers! With that, Kells hangs up. Eleanor holds on to the receiver for a moment longer, and then hangs up the phone. A part of her listens to the coins falling into their repose with a certain satisfaction, but for the most part she is too distracted. Getting dressed. As in, she wasn't dressed before? Eleanor shakes the image away and returns to the table. The pair are still at it, though it seems Adlon's point of view will carry the day. Martin holds up a hand to interrupt and turns to Eleanor. Are you all right? Yes, she nods, a steadfast movement. I'm all right. I found this in my pocket. She shows them the card. They exchange a knowing glance. She continues. I just called her, and she said she knew you. I invited her to join us. I hope that's all right. Kells works fast, doesn't she? Martin shakes his head in admiration. Adlon nods once and takes a drink, eyes rolling to the ceiling. Sensing Eleanor's discomfort, Martin hastens to add, that's not not a bad thing. She just always seems to find other magicians and jugglers who are passing through. She loves to make new friends. Eleanor half smiles once again as they lapse into comfortable silence, sipping at their drinks. A few minutes later, a sudden movement draws her attention to the bartender. 
The woman had been leaning against the bar, perusing something on her phone, and suddenly stiffened. Accustomed to reading body language for the subtle cues of need, or the right direction to take a show in order to best entertain, Eleanor watches this with growing fascination. The bartender pockets her phone and, with quick practice moves, pours three small glasses of beer. Light, darker, dark. She places these in a neat row on the bar before a bar stool and then puts an empty beer stein next to them. This completed, she breathes the relieved sigh of one who has just remembered and accomplished a very important task. Not a moment too soon, as the front door of the bar opens to admit the bedraggled, stooped form of the raggedy prophet. He sways for a moment on the threshold and then walks up to the bar and sits heavily on the stool. Eleanor glances at Martin and Adlon. They have both gone silent and seem to be doing their level best to camouflage themselves into the booth. She looks up to find the prophet carefully pouring the contents of the three glasses into the waiting stein. His face is a mask of infinite concentration. This finished, he takes a delicate sip of the concoction and smiles. The effect is nothing short of a transfiguration. He becomes, if not precisely normal, something akin to it. Nothing more than a simple man enjoying a drink at his favorite pub after a long day at work. He holds the glass aloft, toasting the bartender who replies with a curt nod and moves off to help another customer. The man, Eleanor remembers his name as something like, Theo? Slumps down and nurses his beer, becalmed. Her companions relax, and soon their conversation resumes. Martin has recently received a large collection on commission from a wealthy businessman and is planning on finishing an additional room upstairs in his shop to house it. Adlon pulls out the dubiously acquired manifest of a soon-to-arrive tramp freighter from parts unknown. There is little of interest, they decide, except for one crate, marked Egypt, miscellaneous. Excitement rises as they speculate on the contents. Eleanor thinks scarabs. Martin surmises a mummy. Adlon, older and wiser, sagely opines that it contains a few cracked bits of pottery and a couple dusty brass something or others. Eleanor is so absorbed, she doesn't notice when they are joined by a fourth person. The interloper sets down another round for each of them, and returns with two shots of something clear and foul-smelling, and a pint of her own. Kells is about to down the second shot when Eleanor looks up and their eyes meet. Kells lifts the glass in a toast, and downs the shot with a wink. You're all wrong, Kells announces, slamming the empty shot glass on the table. I'd say any crate marked Egypt... Misk probably contains the slumbering carcass of a long-dead god, or maybe the Ark of the Covenant. Adlon chuffs with disapproval, and Martin rolls his eyes. But Eleanor finds the speculation charming. The evening proceeds as such always do. Slow, meandering into a comfortable place of easy conversation, and easier laughter. Adlon soon begs off further rounds, and makes an unsteady exit hailing a cab in a voice so stentorian it defies belief that it comes from the same person. Gone is the slow and measured, almost gasping pace. Eleanor is amazed a megaphone is not involved. Martin, at one point, seems about to retire as well, but Kells will hear none of it, insisting that he accompany them to hers for a home-cooked meal and more conversation. As they rise, Theo catches Martin's eye from the bar and nods in his direction the gesture almost apologetic. Martin replies with a barely perceptible shrug and a nod of his own. Eleanor is surprised to find that when she goes to settle up her portion of the tab, 
that it has already been taken care of. Kells and Martin make similar discoveries, leading all three of them to wonder if the others have foot the entire bill. And so it is that a slightly different trio exits the bar, Eleanor and Kells walking arm in arm, and Martin striding along behind them holding Eleanor's umbrella. They have tried to get him to share the shelter, but he insists he is quite all right in his tweed jacket and wool hat. Secretly, he enjoys playing the laconic butler type to the hilt, and this moment is no exception. To his chagrin, nobody sees his performance, save for the mangy alley cat, which often stalks by the bookshop on secret business of its own. Whew, that episode just about darn near killed me. Doing all the different character voices and everything while also being at about 6,000 feet of elevation really takes a toll on the old uh, diaphragm and lungs, but uh, I made it, and I hope you folks enjoy this episode. Uh, This chapter is really the one for me where the entire book sort of comes together and you get all the different characters meeting and talking for the first time. These are the four lead characters of this book and it's just really lovely to get to watch them interact all together as they talk about what might be in that box on that tramp freighter. As always, you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at I am Strangely. You can find out more about me at www.strangelyandfriends.com or by going to www.pochemancier.com. As I mentioned at the top of this episode, I do have a show on May 5th at The Honeymoon. Come on down and uh, see me and some friends of mine play some music. It's going to be a great time there in Bellingham, Washington. If you've never tasted mead, which ostensibly is the drink of the gods, I highly recommend coming on down to The Honeymoon. They are one of my favorite drinking establishments in all the world. So... There you go, Honeymoon. Maybe I can get uh, Honeymoon to sponsor this podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast and my other creative endeavors, I have a Patreon page, which you can get to by going to patreon.com slash strangely. Or you could just Google it. Uh, So yeah, check that out. I will see you all next week for Chapter 6, in which we meet the cat.